Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I'm a big baseball fan, and there's a phrase in baseball that I really like, and I think in this particular case, it's also relevant for those of us who care about college football, Georgia football in particular. The phrase goes like this, that when a player gets off to a slow start, and gosh knows the Atlanta Braves currently have a few of those, but when a player gets off to a slow start, one of the things that people say to comfort themselves about star player and a slow start is, just look at the back of the baseball card. In other words, uh, you flip over the back of the baseball card, you see those stat lines compiled over the course of years, and that's a pretty good idea of who this is as a player. And some really slow start to a new season isn't likely to last. Eventually, the back of the baseball card is just going to tell the story. Now, I've always loved baseball cards, so the idea of holding a, back of the, holding a baseball card and looking at the stat lines in the back of it, that kind of just makes me feel warm all, all the way around. But I do believe that's a pretty good philosophy, that that in any given moment, you can have reason to worry or reason to be anxious about something related to sports, but track records do matter. Track records should give you comfort, and track records are the thing that you want to lean on to make better predictions about the future. What's the future going to look like in Major League Baseball or college football or whatever other sport you care about? The past, especially the recent past, probably provides you a pretty good hint on all of that. Now, why do I say this? Because ESPN recently wrote kind of a post-spring analysis of Georgia, a couple of different writers pairing up to do this. And at one point in time, the ESPN folks asked what I think is a pretty provocative question. Now, this isn't hating on Georgia or anything like that. This is a question worth answering. It's not a rhetorical question, in other words. It's the kind of thing that those of us who care about UGA, someone like me who does a show dedicated to this topic, someone like you who has made following Georgia football one of your biggest pastimes, if we really want to have the best vision of how the 2022 season is going to unfold then figuring out and answer the question that ESPN recently asked in a write-up about Georgia is probably something that we ought to spend some time on and in fact it's going to take us more than one day to answer this. this is one of those deals where I want to introduce the topic today I want to give you one piece I believe of the answer on this and I want to visit again tomorrow and probably on Wednesday there as well and, and, and really kind of get into this here uh, a, a, a little bit and, and give it the full attention that it's worth. So let me show you recently what ESPN wrote about Georgia, by the way, the other day on DogNation.com. Connor Riley had a great story on this very topic there as well. But uh, this is the tandem of riders. Uh, is it Alex Scarborough is one of these? And then uh, Chris Lowe. Yeah, two good riders. Two guys know the SEC very well. So they get involved on this. And here it is. Who are the emerging stars on this next Georgia defense? The question is asked. There are plenty of candidates, ESPN says, and it helps to have a player as talented as defensive tackle Jalen Carter returning. But there are gaps to fill for the defending national champs on defense, which should make for a competitive preseason camp. Now, at face value, I don't think any of that is really all that easy to disagree with pretty clearly Jalen Carter looks to be a sure thing one of the best players in college football probably I would say the best player on the Georgia roster 
but it's also true around him there are gaps to fill because you had five players taken in the first round of the most recent NFL draft those were obviously key contributors for your national championship team now they are gone so how are those spots going to be filled and will there will there be and I love the phrase that the ESPN writers low and uh, 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 Scarborough use here Will there be emerging stars to take their place? Now, it is probably not a surprise to you to find out that, yes, I do believe there are likely to be emerging stars on this Georgia defense. And as I said before, the reason why I feel comfortable with that, and you can take the quote now now if you want to, the reason why I feel comfortable saying that is because of the back of the baseball card, because of the track record that Georgia has in terms of producing emerging stars on defense. That track record leads me to believe that Georgia is still likely to be fine on defense this season. And we may not have been introduced yet, and you can take that down if you want to, we may not be introduced yet to the the players who are especially the, the country outside the bubble of dog nation especially may not be introduced yet to the players who are going to be the new stars in the georgia defense but history suggests they probably do exist history suggests they are probably on their way and let me kind of look at one position today and then we'll look at a couple of different position groups over the course of the next couple of days so espn says who are the emerging stars on the georgia defense fair question worth answering here's my answer to this today let's start with linebacker and in particular i want to start with inside linebacker because as we've told you before if you look at the two best single season performances in kirby smart history at georgia he's been coach here since 2016 his best two teams the most recent team that won the national championship the 2017 team that also made the college football playoff they had at least one thing pretty important in common they had great play from inside linebackers you had a butkus award-winning inside linebacker in the national championship team Kobe dean key catalyst of the success the bulldogs enjoy and in 2017 you had the same kind of season from a guy in roquan smith who in the nfl draft was actually drafted much higher than nicobe was but the impact here at uga was very similar uh roquan smith as a butkus award guy in 2017 helped propel that georgia defense there as well so if you are looking for emerging stars on the georgia defense the inside linebacker spot is a pretty good place to look now i can't guarantee any of this but once again the back of the baseball card the recent track record for uh for success would suggest that inside linebacker is a pretty good place to look for uh emerging stars in the georgia defense with that in mind let me look at the guy here who coaches that position glenn schumann who clearly is one of the rising stars on the coaching ranks on this uh georgia staff he's now co-defensive coordinator here we're not quite so sure yet how much responsibility that gives him over the georgia defense but we presume a lot even before becoming you know more involved in the defensive decision making for the dogs schumann was already an impact coach in fact he's got reason to brag a reason to take a bow after the most recent nfl draft because of all the success that uh he helped produce for the dogs and the georgia players in that category and recently on social media kind of did some version of that i thought this was a great picture that schumann shared so you got the uh, Monty Rice. This is back when they all played in the same team together. The Monty Rice jersey, the Tay Crowder jersey, the Quay Walker jersey, and the Kobe Dean jersey, all those lockers side by side together. All of these are guys who eventually became NFL draft picks. Now, what's amazing is, is that picture doesn't even have room for all the draft, all the players 
players uh, that were drafted uh, off that same team. Uh, you got four of them there, but there's uh, obviously you could have had Channing Tindler right there as well. I don't know if you just couldn't squeeze that into the photo, but that's four guys, Rice, Crowder, Walker, and Dean, all once having played together at Georgia, all guys who became NFL draft picks. It gives you an idea of how successful Georgia has been there. But let me give you a little bit more on this, why a guy like Schumann can feel so proud showing a picture like that. When you look at the overall track record of success that Georgia has had among linebackers in this NFL draft, uh, what you realize is, is that 2021 may be the best example of this, but in actuality, it was just the latest example of something that, that's been going on for quite some time. Let me give you a, a little bit of a timeline here on this. If you want to start in the 2018 draft, when Roquan Smith got taken uh, in the uh, first round there by the Chicago Bears, you see a big run of Georgia linebackers taken to the draft year after year after that. In fact, let me show you this here for a moment on the screen because I want to make sure I give all these guys their credit. So Roquan Smith was a first round pick in 2018 Tay Crowder became a seventh round pick in uh 2020 there's a little bit of an unsung type guy but clearly played like an NFL linebacker for Glenn Schumann and the Georgia Bulldogs Monty Rice was the third round pick in the 2021 draft then this most recent draft had Quay Walker going the first round Channing Tindall going in the third round to Kobe Dean going in the third round there as well a lot of folks thought Dean should have been drafted higher but still uh he put a great career together at Georgia so if you want to look in just the last what handful of drafts that's one two three four four, five, six linebackers drafted that played under Glenn Schumann there in Georgia. So the point here is the recent track record at UGA suggests there is likely to be an emerging star from this linebacker group at Georgia for 2022. Now, I wouldn't stake my reputation on any one guy being that dude, but I'm going to look at a list of six players drafted since 2018 and assume that that track record means something for the upcoming year. Now, I think there are a couple of obvious names you might gravitate towards. One of the guys we saw a lot this spring, another one of these guys we won't see again until the summer. But between these two guys, other names are going to be there. I think you start to feel a little bit comfortable that, yeah, maybe emerging star here on this defense, maybe that's on his way. I mean, I think pretty clearly one of the most buzzed about players for Georgia this spring was Jamon Dumas Johnson, a guy that was praised by Kirby Smart for his leadership, a guy who those who've been able to watch practices or see scrimmages, you know, boosters, things like that, have whispered, oh boy, he's making plays. Oh boy, he's doing some things. That he just sort of has that feel of a linebacker out of the same mold of the Georgia linebackers that I mentioned a moment ago. And obviously, you don't want to put too much on him and you know, someone like me with all these lights and cameras and microphones saying this kind of stuff out loud sort of feels like hype that hasn't been justified as of yet. Totally get that. But what I'm actually leaning on is the guy who occupies the same spot on the field that guys like N'Kobe Dean and, and Roquan Smith once occupied, that that guy eventually resembling players like that is probably kind of a safer bet than not. And if you don't believe my words on this, believe Kendall Milton here for a moment, who's done battle with him plenty during Georgia spring practice. And yeah, he sees the same kind of potential in a guy like JDJ, or as they call him, Pop. He sees that same kind of potential that previous Georgia linebackers have shown on the field. This was Kendall Milton from earlier this summer. I think Pop is going to be special. I see a lot of uh, resemblances with Quay in his game. You know, when you go out there, run routes against him, uh, we do the drills where we have to kind of juke him out. He's just patient. You know, he just lets everything come to him. He's smart with the game, and, you know, he's a super physical player, and I feel like those are all tools that um, kind of make a good linebacker in the long run, and I feel like Pop, he's going to be another one of those guys that, you know, steps up on the defense and becomes a, a leader on the team. 
I mean, I think that Kendall Milton's kind of hard to argue with right there. He's clearly put some thought into his answer. You can tell by the way that he says it. And he's kind of leaning on, as I said before, the track record of what Georgia has been at linebacker to make some educated assumptions about what it will be for this upcoming season. And then beyond that, you know, I could talk about, uh, you know, maybe Zayden Sori. I, I could talk about, you know, uh, Jalen Walker. I could talk about Tresman Marshall maybe trying to come back from injury. I could talk about a lot of those guys. But I also want to identify a guy that I don't want you to forget about here because we didn't see him this uh, this spring, but we will see him presumably this summer and probably see him a lot, you know, coming up this fall there as well. Think about a guy like Smile Mondin, who's kind of coming back from his own, you know, injury situation right now. But that's a guy going back to the time in which he was a recruit who's been laser focused on also living into the reputation that Georgia linebackers have earned playing for Glenn Schumann over the course of years. In fact, let me go back to an interview that Jeff Sintel did with Mondin while he was still a recruit about what Georgia fans would see of him when they finally got a chance to see him play. Now, we've seen him play some. I believe we'll see him play more this upcoming season, but it's a reminder of the kind of young, up-and-coming type talents that Georgia has at the linebacker position. This was Mondin as a recruit. Somebody watches you play. What do you hope they pick up about what's important to you and what you work on to be great? Oh. Um. That I, that I watch film because like the game I feel like it comes natural to me because like because of how much film I watch so like I feel like I know what's gonna happen before it happens so like I just have like a like I'm, I'm a step ahead I feel like so listen that's a guy saying hey I could brag about my athleticism I could brag about whatever else but I'm actually going to brag about my own dedication to learning the game studying the game being the best player I can be because of how connected I get to the game not just relying on my own athleticism and listen I play a clip of Mondin. I play a clip of Milton talking about Jamon Dumas Johnson. But as I said before, those aren't necessarily the guys, the two guys who are going to be it. They're just two guys who could be it. Your guy may be Jalen Walker. Your guy may be Tresman Marshall. Your guy may be Zayden Sawyer. You know, your guy may be somebody else here. It, the, the point of this topic is not to say here is the one guy that's obviously going to be because no one's going to be that accurate in making any kind of prediction of an individual player. But when you look at a long list of linebackers drafted for Glenn Schumann going back to 2018, when you look at that long list, the presumption is there are NFL players on this linebacking core for this upcoming season. They all have the potential of being an emerging breakout star. ESPN rightly says, well, who are these guys? What are their names? My prediction is at least one of them will introduce himself in a very big way as soon as the season begins. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And we do that there off the top a little bit today with the linebackers. I want to look at defensive backs one day this week, and then uh, another position group in kind of a different way before we're done there as well. So ESPN asked for emerging stars. We think that's an, a question worth answering. We'll take a couple days to do that here on the program over the course of the next couple of days. By the way, for those of you tuning in on video, thanks for being here. 945, dognation.com, dognation app. That's our first and 15. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Glad to have you there on video with us as well. Also, podcast form, the Apple Player, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com. We really appreciate you being with us. And, of course, radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref as well. Man, a lot of ways for you to connect with the program. The fact that you show up and you do that with us each and every day, that is not something we take for granted. We are truly appreciative of that and we mean that sincerely by the way also very appreciative and thankful for our friends at engineered solutions of georgia today there as well not just for their long-term support of us although they've been friends 
virus for a long time and not just because they are proud partners of uga always fun to support those that support the dogs those aren't the only reasons though we're thankful of engineered solutions of georgia we're also thankful for esog because they step up and help homeowners when they're facing what could be very serious problems after all you hear me say engineered solutions of georgia they have the word solution in their name what that means is they understand the value of solving big problems for homeowners and two of the biggest problems you can face if you have some sort of waterproofing issue when it rains you see water where it's not supposed to be for instance maybe in your garage or your crawl space down in your basement for sure on that and if you've got that you know you need to do something about it because you give water enough time it can make the grand canyon imagine what it can do to your home if you don't get it seen about if you don't get it checked if you don't get it fixed that problem taken care of that's what engineered solutions of georgia stands ready to do for you also those foundation issues you look at your walls you see those cracks that's probably not good and it's probably not but it is also maybe not the world's you know biggest issue there either but i can't tell you engineered solutions of georgia they can though they've got two full-time engineers on staff smart people who know how to solve your problems so reach out to them they are very easy to get in touch with the phone number could not be easier to remember simply dial 678 esog now that's 678 esog now and that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of georgia can't wait for uh that they're going to take good care of you here this spring and this summer for sure all right we're going to try to take good care of you in a moment ourselves. We'll talk to Connor Riley, uh, Kroger Fresh Day coming up with him. A lot to get into with Connor, some of it recruiting related, some of it on field related. We'll keep the conversation going because I know Connor had some interesting thoughts on this uh, at dognation.com the other day about, you know, the need to kind of replace five first round picks off the Georgia defense for the upcoming season. So we'll do some of that with him coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse and arch manning has shown up in media a little bit over the course of the last 24 hours he is beginning spring practice there uh for his senior season at isidore newman that's the high school that he attends in new orleans and so there have been a couple of stories about arch in the uh, national media the last couple of uh last last 24 hours a couple of stories uh from a couple different websites but it's all happened within the last day and a lot of this for me is the kind of typical recruiting stuff where hey he says some good things about Texas, says some good things about Georgia, says some good things about Alabama. There's even a little bit of the LSU Florida stuff that seems to linger there, although for now, no one really seems to think they're all that big a part of all of this. He may take an unofficial visit to Florida at some point in time. But as of now, there's there's seemingly not a lot going on there. It's been kind of that sort of that uh, Georgia, Texas, Alabama. And I told you a couple times last week, I believe Manning's coming to Georgia. Um it's it's a collection of circumstantial evidence that leads me to to say why that is we've told you that we think that right now alabama seems to be making a lot of inroads in recruiting with eli holstein another good quarterback out of the state of louisiana ironically enough uh but the pursuit of holstein would seem to suggest that alabama knows it's not getting arch manning which kind of leaves you georgia texas what we've said here before is that's a school that just produced 15 draft picks compared to a school that produces zero that's a guy, Arch Manning, who's probably about as drama-free in his recruitment as any recent big name has been. Uh, Texas is a drama farm. There's a soap opera taking place there virtually every single day. Coaches calling out players, players calling out other players. That's happened this offseason alone. Things like that just seem to be happening there a lot. By comparison, Georgia 
is just pretty buttoned up, pretty business as usual. I think that's a cultural fit for um, for Manning. My prediction is that Manning's going to Georgia, but clearly this has to stay to, to still play out. My words here are just a prediction. They're not a news report. That's not the business I'm really in necessarily. So when Manning says the things that he says in the news, it's going to be interesting to us. However, for the most part, what he says about the other schools, I kind of take this as pretty similar to the things that recruits typically say about all their finalists the recruits just kind of like the idea of everybody staying in the race until the very end and manning i think in the words that he uh, i read the story on three.com our buddy sam spiegelman wrote that you know manning for the most part kind of does that there was however one thing from manning in the story from sam spiegelman at on three that i thought was a little bit interesting because it was a little bit different than i expected manning to say I've been kind of operating on the belief that Manning is heading towards probably an early summer commitment, but maybe according to what Spiegelman wrote there on three with Manning, that might not necessarily be the case. This is what Arch Manning told Sam Spiegelman at on three about his recruiting timeline. I think you can read this for free online, I think. He says, it's kind of getting closer. He means his commitment decision. I don't really have a point yet, though. But I guess it's narrowing stuff down. I'm looking forward to making a decision either before the season or during the season or after the season if i was ready i'm i'd probably commit right now but i'm not so i'm just waiting once again that quote from manning uh to sam spiegelman from on three there was another uh national story about manning where he talked about wanting to see more of texas and really all the teams that he's that he's considering but you know but pretty clearly here texas is the team that was kind of been the worst on the field and so <laughs> before you go there maybe you want to see uh wait can this team really uh be any better than they were a year ago in year two under um steve sarkeesian so the timeline on all of this i find to be kind of interesting now based on the quote that i read you right there i don't think manning is clearly committing to anything in terms of when he might make the announcement but the fact that he's holding out the possibility that he could take this into the season or even you know before the start of the early signing period there late in december i find that to kind of be pretty interesting so of the things that we've learned about manning over the course of the last day or so the same group of finalists are what we always thought they were but the fact that he's willing to go a little longer towards making his decision i don't know i, I kind of found that uh, to be somewhat interesting and maybe worth your attention here as you're following how it's all going down with arch manning before i bring on connor riley here today i also remind you of this we've got a couple of big time opportunities to be out in the public here coming up really soon which i'm really excited about i told you yesterday that monday we're going to be at the pella window indoor showroom in duluth which i'm really excited about that's going to be a lot of fun but also we've got another big event coming up that we are very excited to be a part of. i want to make sure you're aware of this that we're partnering with the pollock family foundation you know david pollock of course uh we're partnering with the pollock family foundation for the great golf uh charity event they've got coming up now what the pollock family foundation does is it focuses on childhood obesity and obviously educating parents about you know how to have better nutrition for your kids and more active lifestyles just to make kind of a healthier standard for your family that's one of the things that's uh very important to david always has been and that's kind of one of the things that his pollock family foundation serves uh they're also partnering with children's Healthcare of atlanta for the last six years on a golf tournament this is a really fun event i'm very excited about uh being there and really proud of the work that david and his foundation are doing along with children's Healthcare of atlanta supporting the strong for life program which helps fight childhood obesity you know how serious this is it's kind of a growing problem in our society 
everybody all around. We all want to make better health choices, but certainly helping kids to make better health choices is a really important thing. And that's one of the things that David's dedicated his life towards. So coming up on Monday, May 23rd, we're actually going to be with David and the Pollock Family Foundation in support of Children's Healthcare of Atlanta for the great golf uh, tournament. This is a really, really fun thing. And uh, we're just really proud of it. We're proud to be there. It's going to be fun, but it's also going to be for a great cause there as well. And if you'd like to help out, you want to make a donation, if you want to learn more about this, go to the website. It's PollockFamilyFoundation.com. Let me give that to you again. PollockFamilyFoundation.com. You can get more information about what they do, about the big event coming up, and you can learn how you can help out. Be a part of the solution here by making a donation. Go to PollockFamilyFoundation.com for a lot more on that. And we will, uh, if you're going to be there, we'll see you. Uh, at the uh, big golf outing there coming up on uh, Monday, April, uh, May 23rd. Really excited about all of that. All right, before we're done, there is a bunch of news around the SEC and a bunch of news around college football. This feels like a very bigger word than I should use, but tumultuous offseason for the sport. Some of this stuff feels more real than the typical offseason banter would would you know usually lend yourself to, to believe. So we'll address a lot of that. There's also some fun stuff involving a couple of former dogs now in the NFL. We'll do that with you. But for everything related to UGA, including the latest in Arch Manning and everything else, let's do a Kroger fresh take with Connor Riley right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So we'll say hello to Connor Riley here. Kroger fresh take with him. A lot to get into. I want to pick up on the uh, Manning conversation, though, before we move on. I, I guess, Connor, let me start with my prediction. I made this, I, I think, pretty clearly the last uh, few days here. I do believe that Arch Manning is going to Georgia. Nothing from the published reports involving him yesterday really changes my mind about that. Recruits say what they say. For the most part, they say good things about every school that's kind of in the race for their services, if nothing else, for no other reason than just simply being polite. But through process of elimination, I think you sort of see George as the last man standing here. Alabama going after Eli Holstein, uh, Florida, LSU not really getting involved here in any significant way. Ole Miss never really getting involved, uh, certainly not uh, as much as I thought they probably would at one point in time. It's kind of down to George and Texas, and I think a smart person, given the choice between the two, ain't taking Texas right now, bad grammar intentional. So my prediction is that Manning's going to Georgia. Let me let you respond to that, and then we'll talk about some of the stuff that's out there over the course of the last 24 hours. Yeah, so I'm not quite sure I'm, I'm ready to join you just yet on the Manning is going to Georgia train. Uh, I will note, and you're obviously going to touch on this a little bit later in your show, Dylan Rayola, the number one quarterback in the 2024 recruiting rankings, he commits to Ohio State last night and had kind of been trending that way. And when you look at some of the other guys that Georgia has targeted in this recruiting cycle, they're now in an arch manning or bus cycle. And I think not just for this 2023 recruiting cycle, but for the 2024 one as well. And obviously they have more time to make up things in the 2024 and guys can obviously emerge between now and the 2024 national signing period, but they have so clearly staked themselves in this arch manning sweepstakes to, you know, this is going to be a thing where if they miss, which I still think is a you know possibility, and I think even you would likely admit that there as well. While you do think that George is going to get Manning, you could see a world where he ends up going to Texas for whatever misguided reason that might ultimately be. I think I think we're both in agreement on that. 
if you miss on him, it, it, the quarterback position becomes somehow even more interesting than it has been at Georgia for the past however many years that Kirby Smart has been there because you're really three, four years out and you're looking at your quarterback future play. Now Stetson Bennett has shown that all can get blown to bits and, and your best laid plans never end up coming to fruition. But I, I think when it comes to Arch Manning and where things stand with him right now and the, the Dylan Rayola domino falling, so to speak, yesterday – it's now very clearly Georgia has put all of their eggs in this Arch Manning basket and, you know, they'll find a talented quarterback out there, whether it be the portal years from now or even in this 2023 recruiting class. But with what we've seen from Arch with Alabama sort of, I think, like you pointed out, taking themselves out of it, it's Georgia and Texas for Arch Manning. And if Georgia doesn't get Arch Manning, I'm going to be really interested to receive where that leaves Georgia in terms of its quarterback recruiting. So I agree with the premise that you're establishing there. I agree with your reasoning. However, I guess I don't really view the Rayola story as a story very connected to UGA because it seems like had he not gone to Ohio State, and there had been a lot of predictions to him for to Ohio State for a while, it seems like that next team there was USC. I mean, clearly Georgia fans wanted Dylan Rayola because you'd always want the best quarterback in any given cycle. So Rayola was popular with UGA fans, but unless you know more than I do, I don't see all that much evidence that that UGA was all that popular with Rayola. So him choosing Ohio State. I don't think that's kind of like a, an example of, well, I guess Georgia's got all of its eggs in Arch Manning. Now, even though I kind of agree with where you're coming from on that, I don't know that Georgia was making all that many inroads with Rayola. Am I getting that wrong by saying it that way? I don't know. I, I sort of judge these kind of things by how often is Jeff Sintel writing about these guys? I think Jeff does a very good job of, uh, of laying the breadcrumbs, so to speak, of who guys Georgia's really in on and who they aren't. And he had written about Dylan Rayola a couple of times here. Now he had, I think, been trending away from Georgia for a good bit. And I think that's because in, in my understanding and the reading of the greeniness, and I could certainly be wrong here, I, I think Georgia decided they would rather pursue and, and go after the Arch Manning bird in the basket. So then waiting out this Dylan Rayola, because you do point out, you know, Ohio State wanted him, USC wanted him. There's a lot more variables that it, were in play when it came to Rayola, whereas with Manning, you know, two, three months ago, I, I think we all sort of figured – Texas, Alabama, Georgia, those were the sort of three big teams. And now it looks like Alabama is taking themselves out of that race. And so really, if you're Georgia, you're really competing with two teams. And quite frankly, Georgia should beat out Texas at this point in the stage for a recruit like Arch Manning, giving the success that Texas has had in recent years and the success that Georgia has had. Do you take seriously the possibility that Arch Manning could still be uncommitted in August? I do because – you know, for a guy who doesn't do a lot of media, and granted, you know, him doing uh, media with our friend Sam Spiegelman the other day, you know, good on Sam for getting that. We know a lot about Arch Manning for a guy who doesn't, you know, talk a whole lot, doesn't have social media, isn't, you know, throwing things out there. I could definitely see a world where, and because this has been an unconventional recruitment from almost the beginning, him taking this maybe even somehow all the way up to signing day, as he mentioned there in the quote a few minutes ago, you know, after the season – I do think it'll be interesting to see how the visits go and specifically if he takes official visits to to Georgia and to Texas during the month of June. Now, obviously, the Mannings have money and the difference between an official and an unofficial visit isn't all that germane to the Manning family there. So I, I do think that, you know, I could see it, but I've always sort of been under the belief it's going to take his visits in June. Whether it gets to Florida or LSU, I think those are largely inconsequential. And, and I think 
my target timeline had always sort of been July. I think that's when he wanted to make his decision and decide what he was ultimately going to do. Because you mentioned Jeff Santella a moment ago. I'm always reminded of what uh, Manning's high school coach told Jeff about Arch, about him wanting kind of like a 1970s-style recruitment. You can insert your own joke about that, of course. But I take that to mean, hey, he wants as drama-free a process as possible. Not committing before the season starts and taking it December, that's not what that would be. Uh, a name as big as Manning, who's going to bring a lot of mainstream fans into the recruiting process, a guy like that making his announcement in December, that's ratcheting up the drama. That's not turning down the drama. And so to hear Arch acknowledge within the last 24 hours of, yeah, maybe I might take it all the way to December, that to me is a little bit of an interesting admission now he also leaves the door open to you know make a decision at any point in time he'd make a decision right now he says if he wanted to but the idea that he's even considering playing as an uncommitted prospect in the senior season of high school you know taking it down the wire these teams that he's considering that to me was an interesting admission because that I have to say is not what I expected to happen. I expected an early summer announcement from Manning and you know kind of you know getting to work on you know going to play a senior year, whatever else he wanted to do. But the idea that Manning could play this fall without committing yet, to me, that ratchets up the drama. That doesn't turn it down. And we've been kind of led to believe that's the opposite of what Arch would, I guess, prefer to do, or certainly those close around him would prefer him to do. Right. Because, you know, you and I, we follow the recruiting game. We, we sort of know the ins and outs here. If Arch Manning really didn't want any drama, any attention, he'd be committed and he wouldn't be visiting anywhere else. I think when you leave those breadcrumbs out there of, Hey, I'm still taking visits to other schools. Hey, I'm still undecided. The longer this sort of gets drawn out, the more attention is obviously going to build around Arch Manning. Now, a lot of that's going to be baked in by the fact that he's the number one quarterback in the country, that he's the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning. Obviously the ties that the Manning family has not just to the sec, but Southern football as a whole, that family is royalty. You know, the longer this drags out, the more and more that starts to run counter to what they have said about drama free, you know, low profile, because you, you, you and I have talked about this before. There's always going to be an appetite for Arch Manning updates, news, so to speak. And when there is nothing concrete in there, something is going to fill that vacuum in the long and in the greater time period that you give this year with Arch Manning and his recruitment, the larger that vacuum is going to get, and the more you're going to have people throwing stuff up against a wall to try and satisfy that Arch Manning hunger. I think that's right. I want to talk to you about something else I know you've written about and I talked about off the top of the program, the idea of there being, quote, emerging stars in the Georgia defense. ESPN, I think, fairly asked, well, who are they? Connor, I don't know that I'd stake my reputation on any individual name, but I will be shocked if Georgia's defense isn't just about as good as Georgia's defense always is when it plays here coming up in the fall of 2022. Now, having five first-round picks and being as good as it was last season, that's a long, uh, certainly, uh, you know, bridge to try to cross here on this. But the idea that the drop-off is going to be significant for the dogs on defense, there are a lot of non-Georgia fans who I believe wish that would be true, but I don't think they're going to get their wish on this. I talked about linebackers off the top here a moment ago. There's a pretty well-established track record of Georgia linebackers going to the NFL. So when I look at JDJ, or they call him Pop, you know, Javon Dumas-Johnson, when I look at Smile Mono, when I consider Jalen Walker, when I consider Tresman Marsh, when I consider guys like this, 
a couple of those guys are going to play in the NFL. I mean, just that's just what the Georgia track record suggests. So I think we'll be introduced to the names of the breakout stars for Georgia over the course of the season. But I'm fairly confident they are there. Uh, you obviously cover this from a more of an objective slant. What do you think about that notion? Yeah, I think by the end of the season, you know, is the Georgia defense as dominant as it was a year ago? We'll see. But I, I think, you know, that first month of the season, there's going to be a lot up for grabs. And I know you touched on it earlier, Jamon Dumas Johnson, one of the big winners of spring and the way he came out and played and performed. You know, we, we know, like, I feel like we can cross Nolan Smith, Jalen Carter, and, and Keely Ringo off that emerging. Because we know who those guys are. I, I think most college football fans can tell you who Jalen Carter are and who Keely Ringo are. And I think SEC fans will tell you who Nolan Smith is. Uh, it, it's that wave of, you know, I would include Dumas Johnson in there though, but you know, by the time Georgia beats South Carolina in week three, and I think rather comfortably when they do that, we're going to know who Jamon Dumas Johnson is. He's going to make a bunch of plays because that's all he's done since he's gotten to Georgia. It's that wave of, all right, what do we get out of Trez Marshall? Uh, the, the young defensive lineman, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, Warren Brinson, Nass Stackhouse. How did those guys emerge? Is there, you know, does Chaz Chambliss take on a larger role? Does Robert Beal, who led this team in sacks a season ago, does he become an even bigger pass rushing presence this year around with, a, you know, a full year as sort of the guy and the starter in that Georgia defense there? The one question that I have, in it's what happens in that secondary? Who is that other cornerback opposite Keely Ringo? Who is in that safety position? Who is in that star position? Is it, you know, what is William Poole doing and where is he playing? I think that's going to answer a lot of questions in terms of the star power in this, because I know a lot of people like Dalen Everett. They like Malachi Starks to be interested to see what they get out of Singletary, Ja'Cory Thomas there as well. I, I just think it's going to be hard for those guys to come in and be really good players right away. Even Keely Ringo a year ago, you know, his second year in a college program, there were some struggles with him during the course of the season early on there. You know, it's not like he walked in and was the guy who returned the pick six against Bryce Young in the national championship game. So there's going to be growing pains with this defense. But as you point out, I think by the end of the year, you know, we're going to know what this Georgia defense is. It might not have the same ceiling as it did a year ago, but it's still going to be better than 95, 98% of the defenses in college football. I don't want to give away everything I'm going to do the rest of the week, but you do mention a name that I think is worth consideration, and that's Robert Beal, in that I just don't think people realize. I don't mind telling you, Connor, I didn't fully realize what kind of stat line he was putting together until the season's done. You're like, oh, my gosh, six and a half sacks, uh, led the team a year ago. But more interesting than that, in the history of Kirby Smart at Georgia, which dates back now to 2016, there have only been two individual players to have a better sack year than what Beal had a season ago. Now, this was – was this luck and he just sort of fluked his way into uh you know a half dozen sacks seems hard to imagine that's the, the full explanation for this but what if this is at face value what it appears to be a guy who was your sack leader returning for another season at georgia i mean say that out loud that sounds like a pretty good thing and you know beal himself you want to go back 100 years ago to when he was a recruit i mean he had a pretty high profile as a recruit back then you just the fact that it's now been a long time doesn't change the kind of athletic credentials he was once thought to have. I mean, what if this is just as simple as it looks? A big recruit who took a while to pop finally did and came back for one more season. I'm not quite so sure that in the conversation that we have about emerging stars for Georgia that we should fully look at newcomers. 
maybe there's an old man here who's been kind of hinting at the idea that, yeah, I'm still pretty good too. For whatever reason, I didn't show it for a long time, but I did show it last year. And now George is lucky to have me coming back this upcoming year. I think that Beal is incredibly compelling as a storyline for Georgia this season. That could go the other way, but, but the possibility of what it could be for the positive, I think that's pretty intriguing. Yeah. And you look at when those sacks came a season ago, it's not like he was you know, racking them up against cupcakes there. Once he was sort of moved into a more starting role, so to speak, once Adam Anderson was suspended for the team, he had five of those sacks in the last six games of the year. The only game he didn't get a sack in was the SEC championship game, had sacks in both college football playoff games, had sacks in the win over Tennessee. And so, you know, he might just very clearly be a guy that needed the opportunity to get on the playing field and, and had the chance to show hey, I can be a very productive player in this defense. I might not necessarily do all the things that some of those other guys do, but if you ask me to do this one thing, I can do that pretty well. And, and I think Beal has shown that, whereas Nolan Smith, on the other hand, is more of the versatile. He's going to be the guy that drops back into coverage. He's the guy who can consistently set the edge out there. Beal's one trick is a really good one and a really important one. If this is a Georgia team, I know you talk 42 points is the margin you want to see the offense get to. I think 40 sacks is going to be where this Georgia defense probably needs to end up once again this coming season. And and that's one of the bigger questions is where are all those sacks going to come from? And, and if you get to 40, Bill might need to have eight, maybe even as high as 10, given you just don't think they're going to get that same production from those inside linebackers that they got a season ago with the Kobe Dean who had six, Channing Tindall and Quay Walker there as well. So if Georgia's going to get to the sack numbers, the pass rushing production they saw a year ago, they're probably going to need an even bigger year out of Robert Beal there at that outside linebacker position. I want to talk to you about some transfer stuff before we say goodbye to you here. Before that, though, let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here today. And of course, Kroger's taking care of you right now. Something that really matters, a uh, chance to save more money at the pump. Well, Kroger's got that for you with their, with their new uh, membership program called Kroger Boost. Now, that's not the only thing you get, uh, but you do get twice those fuel points when you're saving in store, which is good news but you can also get free grocery delivery there as well and all kinds of special offers throughout the year there too so enrollment is as little as 59 dollars a year which is great opportunity for some great savings so if you want to sign up and i think you should go to kroger.com boost that's kroger.com boost take advantage of double the fuel points take advantage of the free opportunity for grocery delivery and so many other great things there as well kroger.com boost all right connor let's finish with this I think you're really good at something I'm not very good at, which is paying attention to small details. So I want to get kind of granular for a moment on the transfer issue for Georgia, starting with this. Um, when the May 1st deadline came and went for players to enter the transfer portal and be immediately eligible for the upcoming season, they don't have to transfer by them. They just have to declare their intent to transfer going into the portal. I think some people were a little bit surprised that I mean, Georgia just lost the one additional player in, uh, in, in Cameron Kenny there. Some people maybe thought that Georgia was in line to lose more than that. So thinking about that, thinking about, I guess, the presence of some extra scholarships because of the pa- pandemic, does Georgia have room to take a transfer portal if it wants to take a portal player? So the, the important thing to understand here is Georgia does not keep a a public record of their 85-man scholarship count. So a lot of this math that we were doing to get to the 85 is is unofficial. It is, you know, some guesswork, some guys who might be on scholarship, might not be on scholarship. From what we know, which is, A, the super seniors being back this year and some of the recruits that are coming in, 
my math leads me to believe that if certain things are the way that I believe that they are, Georgia is in the position to add one player, maybe two, but I have questions about if it is going to be a second player. And having said that, I think Kirby Smart has made it clear that if the right player comes available in the transfer portal, whether it be, you know, a guy that is already in the portal or a graduate transfer, because graduate transfers do not abide by the same rules as an underclassman using a one-time exempt transfer policy. I do think that they would take a player specifically at that safety position, I think first, and that wide receiver position there second, because the safety position, I, I think, as I've said before in this program, it is my biggest concern coming out of spring practice there, which is the questions that they have there. Wide receiver, to me, it is all health-related. And if you tell me you get a healthy seasons out of Dominic Blaylock, Arian Smith, Marcus Rosemey, Jack St. Kiaris Jackson, I think Georgia's going to be okay at the wide receiver position. So I do believe they can add at least one transfer player. A second one, the math gets a little fuzzier slash uncertain in my book. And so that is sort of where it comes into question. Okay, so yeah, two separate issues. You addressed the first that mathematically, it seems like without getting all the details, it seems like Georgia may have room for one, possibly two. And then it becomes the issue of, well, who is that guy? Because there have been rumors about Isaiah Land, the edge rusher out of Florida A&M, who made a little bit of ruckus on social media by Georgia and a few other big name programs. But then almost as quickly as he entered the portal, he went back to uh, FAMU, which would lead you to believe that maybe he didn't quite get the offer he was hoping to get from one of those big time schools. There had been a little bit of rumor lately about Georgia and a wide receiver that seems to have kind of totally fizzled out. Uh, I haven't heard anything about that in a while. Doesn't seem like there's anything coming from that. So you are you are left to wonder okay, so if Georgia is going to add a player, then well, who is it? Because there isn't, I would say, an active rumor right now involving Georgia. But you also remind us of it doesn't necessarily have to be a portal player that we know of as of the May 1st deadline, that there is still an opportunity for it to be a grad transfer guy that maybe we haven't even had reason to consider yet. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, I think that's the way to put it. And I'd point out here as well, this time a year ago, Eric Gilbert and Darian Kendrick were not on this Georgia roster. And I think, you know, what you saw out of the three transfers that Georgia took last season was actually pretty illuminating there. You know, of the three they took, Tyke Smith, Darian Kendrick, and Eric Gilbert, who all had pretty, pretty strong backgrounds. And, and you would think the idea that they could come in and compete, the only one that really gave you anything at all was Darian Kendrick. Now he was a home run and maybe perhaps even the best graduate transfer best transfer portal addition that Georgia has had under Kirby smart, but it's not a slam dunk that who you get out of the portal is going to be what you want or what you desire there. So, you know, I, I think at this point in time with what we know is available in the transfer portal. And I would throw out, you know, if Jordan Addison wants to come to Georgia, I think he's the slam dunk, no doubt about it name there, but I'm still skeptical that that is maybe going to happen uh, just given the ties to USC. And it seems like there is a part of them that would like to stay at Pitt at least. But I, I think when it comes to that safety position, we'll see, you know, does a, a guy from another school who's graduated transfer, does a guy want to try and test the NCAA and see if they're going to grant a waiver from transferring after that May 1st deadline, because that's not something that we've really seen and we don't know what the precedent is there. And, and so we'll ultimately see on that. But I, I do think, you know, the experience that Georgia had with Transport last year is a big reason why they have not taken anybody. Whereas you look at schools like Ohio State has taken multiple transfers. Alabama has obviously taken multiple transfers this cycle. There's a reason that Georgia is, I think, being a little 
wary in terms of who they go out there and who they possibly target as a transfer addition. I think you're right. And I think it's good stuff. Connor, thanks for being here for our Kroger Fresh Take today. We'll read you more at dognation.com and speak to you again next week. And as I said before, certainly appreciate your time. Yep. As always, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, as Connor kind of touched on at the end there, it is very interesting right now how different Georgia's building itself compared to how Alabama's building itself. And listen, there's no free lunch on either side. You know, if you don't get really active in the transfer portal, Georgia's somewhat active. A program like Clemson hasn't been active at all. If you don't get at least someone active in the transfer portal, then you miss out on one of the tools in the toolbox to give talent to your roster. So if you're saying, well, listen, I'm too good for the transfer portal. Well, good luck building as good a roster as you can build if you're not interested in that at all. But the flip side is it's not an easy button to push. There is no free lunch here. You know, the idea that, well, I'm going to go get a running back from Tech and a wide receiver from Georgia and another one from Louisville and an offensive lineman from Vanderbilt. You know, this is not fantasy football where you just, you know, grab a bunch of talent and like you slot them into a spot on a screen. No, you actually have to play the games in real life. Football, a team sport, chemistry matters. Guys who played somewhere else a year ago who don't know their teammates very well, how quickly can they gain chemistry? Or maybe said a different way, guys who came to Alabama because of the individual glory they were promised, what happens when they bump into somebody else who got promised the same thing? As I said before, you know, there's a little bit of intrigue about that and uh, certainly an interesting comparison to how programs like Georgia are putting their championship chase together compared to how a program like Alabama might be doing the same thing. we got a lot of news to give you here in a moment. Let me quickly, though, remind you that we are cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. This is a great time to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship as we head towards the summer. told you yesterday about those three- and four-night cruises that go to the Bahamas, Perfect Day, Coco Cay. In many cases, they go to Nassau. Maybe you're ready for one of those seven-night cruises. I took one in February, and it was great. We also went to Nassau. We also went to Perfect Day Coco Cay. We went to Jamaica. We were uh, in Haiti at a great private destination called Labadee, which is right there in Haiti. Gorgeous beach. is so much fun. You've got ships going to Cozumel. You've got, you know, down in St. Thomas, St. Martin. So many uh, amazing ports visited by Royal Caribbean. And when you're sailing on the seas, you're also taking advantage of the great amenities that Royal Caribbean has on board. The entertainment, the dining options. Maybe for you, three or four days just isn't long enough to enjoy everything uh, that can be enjoyed. Because I can tell you, having been there for seven days myself, I still didn't get a chance to do everything because there is that much to do. So you've heard me talk about it. Your time is now to take advantage of it. Check out the folks at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. They'll help you get booked up here. TCAVA.com. That's the the website. TCAVA.com. You can also give them a call. 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. All right, let's roll through a bunch of news here. As Connor told you a little earlier, Dylan Rayola, 2024 quarterback, the top quarterback for the following cycle, made his commitment announcement yesterday, choosing Ohio State. This was as the smart folks like to say, as expected. He had been you know, leaning in the direction of Ohio State for a while. There had been a little bit of USC chatter here, but Ohio State had been the dominant factor in his recruitment for quite some time. He released a video. You see that there on your screen. He released a uh, video, at least a shot of the video, uh, at his local church there in Arizona where he finally uh, you know, made his announcement of Ohio State. And here's what I think is interesting here. Pretty clearly there are just different schools that are better fits for some players than others for instance 
when a program like USC gets involved in the NIL stuff, and ironically, they don't even really have an NIL collective or anything like that. We don't really even know, you know, the mechanism by which they're allegedly paying, you know, Jordan Addison if he ends up going there or Caleb Williams. But pretty clearly, L.A., you know, rich town, a lot of money, you know, kind of a glamorous program USC's thought to be. When you hear about the emergence of a program like that under new coach Lincoln Riley, it becomes easy for some to imagine, well, I guess everybody's just going to want to go to USC. How could you turn down Hollywood? How could you turn down the glitz and glamour? How could you turn down Rodeo Drive or whatever else is just kind of a short, you know, uh, drive from campus there in Los Angeles? But Dylan Rayola shows you a West Coast kid going to Ohio State, a little bit more of a traditional college experience, a little bit different kind of quarterback development. Ryan Day's clearly put a lot into the NFL. There are just different schools for different players. And I think the Arch Manning recruitment's a little bit, little bit like this too. There was one thing I read from him recently where he talked about, you know, kind of what Austin is. And he talked about kind of what Athens is. He said that he thought that Athens was the best college town he'd ever been to. And clearly kind of putting Austin in a different category, not saying that Athens is a different is a better college town than Austin is, but almost saying like Athens is a kind of a true college town where Austin's kind of now a much bigger city than that. If you've been to Austin, you know, it's kind of a cosmopolitan destination. There are a lot of big companies that make their home in Austin these days. It's a little bit of a cultural center. Think about South by Southwest, the big festival that takes place there each and every year. And like for some people. The glamour of Austin, and I would say that now Austin's become kind of a glamorous town, uh, the glamour of Austin is going to be what attracts them. It's not a traditional college town. In fact, it's gotten so big now that it almost doesn't even really feel like a college town anymore. But Athens still very much does. Some people are going to be more attracted to that. They're just different schools for, for different players. The Manning recruitment may be an example of that. I think the Rayola recruitment is a little bit of an example of that, too. Greg Sankey was making a public appearance yesterday. Uh, there were some reporters caught up with him, including some folks from AL.com, asking Sankey about his feelings about playoff expansion. You know that at one point in time, it seemed like we were heading towards an expansion of 12 teams to the playoff expansion to get to 12 teams, I mean, there had been a recommendation on the part of a committee working with the college ball playoff folks to do that. And yet the so-called, what do you call it, the, the alliance or whatever it is that's sort of teaming up against the SEC, they decided to grind the gears on this as a way of getting back to the SEC. But Sankey yesterday reiterated that folks didn't believe me when I said we were fine staying at four, but we are. I'm paraphrasing his statement. That's essentially what he said. I think he also said that he believed the playoff expansion would be a good thing for college football, but it's clearly not a bad thing for the SEC to stay at four. The SEC is winning the national championship more years than not. And last year in 2017, having two teams in the playoff that eventually played for the national championship. Pretty clearly, Sankey's comfortable with that. As I've been saying in some of the interviews I've been doing lately, I think what the SEC is fine with is staying at four. The SEC be okay with 12. What the SEC doesn't want is eight. The league believes that's just a more watered-down version of the current playoff. So that's the one non-starter for the SEC is an 18 playoff. They like 12. They like four. And clearly, it's working out pretty well for them. Uh, I thought it was interesting to see Chris Trapasso from CBSSports.com, not a, among the more well-known NFL draft analysts, but a guy that's out there doing a bunch of stuff on a pretty regular basis. I guess he's the latest to get in line behind the hype train for Will Levis, the Kentucky quarterback. To me, Levis just throws too many interceptions to be you know all that um, serious of an elite NFL draft pick. He does have a big arm. Uh, this kind of feels to me like the typical you know th 
365 days ahead, 12 months ahead, draft hype. A lot of this ends up being kind of unrequited, ends up not being, you know, all that real. But Levis getting a lot of love uh, right now, including Chris DePasso, who says he could be the number one overall pick in next year's NFL draft, the Kentucky quarterback. We talked to Kentucky yesterday, the silly stuff that Vince Merrow, one of their assistant coaches, had said about the upcoming game against Georgia. And in that same interview, Merrow went on to say that his reason for thinking that Kentucky could win the SEC East this season really rest on Will Levis as we told you yesterday if you're a Georgia fan you're looking to gain more confidence in your own team for the upcoming season just keep this in mind that Levis the guy that's getting all the draft hype right now a year ago when these two teams did battle Stetson Bennett statistically speaking outplayed him there that day now Levis was of course facing the Georgia defense which is no easy task but I don't think that obscures the overall point that in terms of actual in-game performance while Bennett will never be mentioned in those draft conversations in terms of what you actually gave to your team a year ago, Stetson Bennett probably gave you more than some folks have given him credit for. The head-to-head comparison against Levis may be proof of that. By the way, bad news for Kentucky. Chris Rodriguez, the outstanding running back, was arrested recently on a host of charges, including a suspicion of DUI. So a little bit of a mess for Rodriguez to deal with. We will find out what the uh, aftermath of all this is but rodriguez and some legal hot water water after a dui arrest for one of the top returning players in the sec so a couple of uh procedural things here for a moment i told you there's a lot of news today and i just kind of want to give you uh the full list of this so the ncaa oversight committee committee has recently met and one of the reasons why folks have disliked the ncaa for such a long time is because it's like every other bureaucracy you've ever known about. There's all kinds of committees. They're always meeting. They're always making suggestions. Sometimes it's kind of hard to know what of this is real and what of this is just an excuse to go hold away in a hotel for a couple of days and you know eat catered meals and things like that. But the NCAA Oversight Committee is suggesting that all of college football, the Power Five conferences, do away with divisions, basically come up with a different way to host a conference championship game, essentially you know waiving the – I guess the you know the current standard for how these championship games are conducted the SEC obviously included in all of this there's been a little bit of movement behind the scenes for the SEC to do this seemingly and Big 10 other leagues may get involved in this there as well it basically opened the door for the top two teams by record to play for the championship and in the case of the SEC it also opened the door for more league teams to play each other more frequently now I'm a little bit of an outlier on this in that I think the SEC has actually done a pretty good job of creating distinctive identities for its two divisions, the East and the West. It kind of reminds me of, I mentioned baseball earlier. When I was a kid, I felt like the American League meant something. I felt like the National League meant something. And seeing those two leagues play in the World Series or in the All-Star game kind of felt like it meant something. Uh, Over the course of time, that's been watered down. That's no longer true because of interleague play and everything else. Now the two leagues even have the same rules, designated hitter in the National League, for instance. But to me, the East and the West have kind of always meant something like the East was dominant in the 90s. The West has been dominant more recently, but there's a little bit of an identity for the East, a little bit of an identity for the West. But as you add more teams into the SEC, that notion gets watered down a bit, too. What the SEC has had was special. Now it's going to try to create something new where instead of playing the same teams each and every year, like, say, Tennessee for Georgia and developing a rivalry with them. And now you're going to tour the SEC more frequently, which I think folks seem to think is better for fans. We'll find out if that actually ends up being the case, but that seems to be the belief right now. A couple other stories to get to here for you a moment. Um, it seems pretty obvious there are some battle lines being drawn when it comes to NIL. There was an interesting story in The Athletic 
where, boy, the athletic loves quoting these, you know, lawyers and collective folks. They are really in business with them in terms of uh, putting their point of view out into the forefront. And a story yesterday, kind of that quoting uh, uh, a couple of different, you know, lawyer type folks, uh, collective type folks who are kind of deeply connected on the uh, on the NIL side, essentially laughing at the idea that the NCAA is going to be able to do anything to make the NIL scene less chaotic. That's a word that a lot of folks are using right now to describe how the NIL stuff is um, kind of playing out with uh, you know, the Jordan Addison transfer rumor that he going to enter the portal to go to USC. Some folks have felt like that was tampering. What's going on with Miami basketball? John Ruiz, their high-profile booster, and the way in which he's kind of openly boasted about using an NIL deal to secure a transfer from Kansas State. And then there was the other thing that happened where the other player like essentially – was going to hold out because he wasn't happy with his nil deal and you had booster battling agent over all of this that just seems really gross to a lot of people and the ncaa is going to try to fix this and the nil folks the attorneys connected to some players um they are including guys who've been quoted in stories in the past they are saying that if you do this we are going to sue you may be getting to the point where some of the folks connected to the ncaa based on some you know recent guidelines that were dropped yesterday and things like that are saying well we may just have to battle you in court because we feel like we're facing an existential crisis here in terms of the survival of the sports that we've all known and loved and cared about. I do think it was interesting that Kevin Warren, who's the Big Ten commissioner, who I don't think is a strong leader, but Warren was quoted by Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, yesterday as essentially predicting that eventually this is going to change, that the craziness that has defined the last couple of months, Warren essentially predicted that eventually that's that's going to go away and things are going to get back to what I would call normal. He says that other folks on the NIL side say, good luck with that. We're going to sue. It would appear that we're heading for a pretty big showdown here. And I don't, I'm not smart enough to tell you who's going to win, but I know who I'm rooting for. Uh, and then finally, there's this Jerry Bohannon was quarterback Baylor transferred. There'd been some thought that he might be going to Missouri, but instead he chooses South Florida, which is a little bit weird, I guess. But, I guess I'm kind of left to wonder, given the fact that Missouri was also a little bit in pursuit of JT Daniels for a moment, like how hard did Missouri really work for a transfer quarterback? Because if they worked hard and got, you know, beat out for JT and then got beat out for Bohannon there as well, maybe that says something. Or if you take Eli Drinkwitz at his word that after spring practice that they liked a couple of young quarterbacks they had, maybe that says something there as well. But it was interesting that Bohannon had kind of been on Missouri's radar a bit but ultimately made a, what I think most people would say is a pretty unorthodox choice to go to South Florida instead of um, instead of uh, Missouri. But nonetheless, that's the case. Although I guess is it Jeff Scott, the former Clemson offense coordinator that's head coach there at South Florida. So you're at least teaming with a good offensive mind down there. But I thought that was a pretty interesting story of Missouri either missing out on another transfer quarterback or maybe deciding they didn't really need one. Uh, hard to know what exactly happened there, but uh, interesting nonetheless. We'll make that cruiser on the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And we're going to see if we can get ready to bring this marathon show to a close here in a moment. But before we do, there are a couple of cool things involving former Georgia running backs, the great tandem that once played together at UGA that I want to make sure you're aware of. If you're watching a video, you'll see this. So Nick Chubb is famous for his feats of strength in the uh, in the weight room. Uh, maybe the, the latest example of this, the NFL shared this. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal squatting performance. It looks like he's like squatting like racing tires here. This is just amazing. Is that 650? How much is that? Is 
six, uh, yeah, 615, 615 pounds. So squatting 615 pounds here, uh, just, just remarkable. I mean, Chubb is just a workout warrior, always has been, and his dedication to all that is one of the things that's made him so, you know, so successful. I mean, I can't even imagine lifting that much weight. What it do to my back to even try to lift half that? That's, that's, really pretty remarkable and the looks on the faces of the young players in the locker room there at Cedartown as he does this are all the more uh, enjoyable on this great to see from Nick Chubb and then his former partner at UGA Sony Michelle's got a new NFL home sources reporting uh, Ian Rapport and others that Michelle going to sign with his hometown team the Miami Dolphins a lot of you are aware that Michelle played his high school ball there at American Heritage in Plantation Florida and returning to South Florida to play for the Miami Dolphins so uh, congratulations to Sony Michelle for finding a new home there in the NFL. Happy to see he and Nick Chubb both doing so well. Uh, that is a really good thing to uh, be able to see. So we're really happy about that. And with that said, we will get ready to wrap up the show for today. A couple of golden shoes for you here. Uh, we've been kind of honoring mothers lately as a part of Mother's Day. We've done some golden shoe submissions related to this. This is Heather Leo. Heather is a former golden shoe winner. She's also the mother of our own Jack Leo, who you see him covering the Diamond Dogs and some stuff horsing around Dog Nation. So he, uh, Mrs. Leo sent this to us of uh, our mom, grandmom, uh, with her favorite Mother's Day present. Proud alumna of the uh, fairest of the Southland. Great uh, Georgia flag there, national champions flag. Of all the Georgia national championship gear, the flag is almost one of my favorite things there. What a great photo. Great family celebration on Mother's Day. Let me tell you, a woman after my own heart is one that wants some national championship UGA gear as a part of Mother's Day. That's great stuff by Heather Leo. I appreciate her sharing that. By the way, some of y'all told me about this. This is really funny. So Dabo Swinney was the Braves game apparently on Saturday. Everything Georgia letting us know on Twitter that uh, he was booed loudly by the Georgia fans on hand when he was shown. You love to see that. A lot of these you know, programs around the South are going to try to creep in on Braves country and try to co-opt that Brave stuff for themselves. But we know they don't live in the Brave state. Now, Braves country does spread all across the South. But still, the connection that Georgia has to the Braves, much deeper, much more substantial. So good for Braves fans for booing Dabo on Saturday night. We'll give them a golden shoe for that. We'll also remind you, Gator, Hater, Updater. It's been 4,870 days since Florida has won a national championship. And our Gator Hater countdown, 172 days. Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater countdown. This is Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And we will see you tomorrow. And on the podcast, I'm now the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down, where a lot of folks responding to yesterday's topic related to Vince Marrow, the Kentucky assistant coach who goes on Kentucky Sports Radio and in very candid comments talking about the way in which they have the Georgia game circled. And he didn't outright say we're going to win the game, but he certainly talked about his belief that last year's game, which they lost 30 to 13 and had to score in the final play of the game to even cut within three touchdowns, somehow proves that Kentucky's ready to to actually win the SEC East and beat Georgia here this year. Um, a lot of folks responding to that. UGA 66 writing to say Kentucky was not going to beat UGA. No way. It's just smack. And I would kind of agree with that. Jim Wallace says, I'll never take Kentucky lightly. That said, they weren't really in the game last year. I don't mean they weren't playing hard. I don't mean they aren't fierce competitors, but not disrespecting them. There was just no point in the game where it looked like they might actually win the game. I think that Jim's 100% right on that. Uh, his assessment of the situation far 
more clear and 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 correct than Coach Marrow's would would be. Lauren, what you got? Also writes in to say, I know they have Will Levis coming back, but didn't they lose a good bit off their offense? Uh, they definitely lost their offensive coordinator. Uh, he says it'll be interesting to see how quickly um, a new coordinator can get up up to speed. And yeah, I think that um, um, look. Lexington has proven to be a pretty tough place for Georgia to play in the past. Georgia did not look good the last time it played there in 2020, but it still won the game easily. It's just more of a matter of not really satisfying the beauty pageant uh, judges. It didn't look good while doing so, but it pretty clearly won the game. And at no point in time, even in 2020, when Georgia didn't cover up there, uh, did it seem like Kentucky might win. That's kind of the story a lot. Like Georgia actually didn't cover against Kentucky last season, but dominated the entire game. Uh, did not cover up there in 2020, but Kentucky was never really all that much of a threat to do much. You know, the 2019 story, the same kind of thing. Remember in the rain where Georgia couldn't do anything, but like Kentucky never even acted like they were going to do something. That's just kind of what it's been is that uh, Kentucky is a physical football team. You know, they are a little bit of a tough out, but it's the kind of team that, that Georgia, while not always looking pretty in doing so, has handled. The other thing, and you heard Vince Miro mention this in the show yesterday, that there was the 2018 game. And that was actually the real, if you look at the best performances for Kirby in the Kirby era on the road at Kentucky that season with the SEC East hanging the balance, the winner of that game was winning the division. Georgia totally throttled Kentucky. That was a Kentucky team that finished the year ranked in the top 15. They weren't ranked when Georgia played them and then fell out of the rankings after that. They finished the year in the top 15. And Georgia absolutely throttled them in Lexington there that day. So this is kind of the point that I'm getting to with all of this, which is that if you're looking for a game to circle in which Georgia might be challenged, at Kentucky may be about as close as you get. But you're still talking about Georgia being like an eight or nine, maybe nine and a half point favorite on the road that that may be about as close as it gets for Georgia in the regular season, but that is a long stretch from saying, as Vince Marrow said yesterday, it's a game that Kentucky could actually win and then win the division in the process. That is strictly wishful thinking, I believe. But if you're looking for a candidate for you know, team most likely to sneak up on Georgia, Kentucky may have been the best option there for that until the Kentucky assistant went and ran his mouth. Nonetheless, that's our R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. Check out R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. If your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. Just make sure you find them online at rsandrews.com. Have a great day. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG.